The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Squawkbox, everybody. Whiplash on Wall Street as the Dow swings from a more than 800-point loss into the green and then back into the red. Payment Capital Management's Kyle Bass telling CNBC the Fed is now a tinderbox for markets. You have this scenario where you have an arsonist turned firefighter uh, in the Fed and they're, they're saying they're going to raise four or five times this year. They've also added the fact that they're going to start balance sheet contraction June or July. Amid the wild market moves, it's decision day for the Federal Reserve then, and it's expected to show its resolve in fighting inflation and signal its first rate hike in over three years, with further policy tightening signaled. US President Joe Biden warns of enormous consequences should Russia invade Ukraine and says predicting Putin's next move is like reading tea leaves. This would be the largest, if he were to move in with all those forces, would be the largest invasion since World War II. It would change the world. Microsoft scores a beat on the top and bottom line and delivers an upbeat forecast, but the stock remains on course for its worst month since 2010, caught up in the tech sell-off. Very warm welcome, everybody. Another remarkable session this week for the U.S. markets. And as you can see, uh, the close um, favoring the Dow Industrial Average. Uh, we were only off uh, nearly two tenths of one percent here, with the Nasdaq again taking much of the pain off two and a quarter of one percent. As we crunch through these market statistics, the Nasdaq, the Russell, and the Dow Jones Transports are all now more than fifteen percent away from their fifty-two week high. The S&P now 9% away from its 52-week high. And the Dow, well, 7% away from its 52-week high. So even though the selling has looked very painful, bear in mind, we're just 7% away from the 52-week high from the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So all major indices tracking below their uh, 50-day and their 200-day moving average, which of course the technicians look at for signals as to how long this period of pain might last. But in reality, on a 52-week story, we're only, what, 7 to 9% off the top as far as the S&P and the Dow Jones Industrial Average are concerned. But let me not underplay the degree of volatility that we've actually seen here. Let's uh, pop up the uh, Dow intraday, and that, I think, gives you a very interesting sense of the swing that we saw through the trading session here and um, all sorts of issues floating around in the markets. In this kind of atmosphere, the market uh, sentiment is febrile and any headline you get across the wires about Ukraine or about inflation or the IMFs, new calls on growth or indeed what the Fed might be thinking has an impact on the movement for these markets. But by the end of it all, it actually uh, didn't seem 
particularly bad from where we started the session off uh, two-tenths of one percent for those who are long the market. Um, let's express that volatility in a slightly different way. We can actually show you the U.S. markets for the week here. And what that, uh, just to come back to the point that I was making, what that actually indicates is that in spite of all of that volatility, we're actually not very far away from where we started the week and we're actually in positive territory as far as the Dow Jones uh, week to date is concerned. And we've got another chart over here, which I think shows you just the correlation in the movement of these headline indices. So a lot of people will, will say to you, look, this is all been about rotation. It's all been about people moving away from the tech stocks where they've recognized that uh, the interest rate moves are likely to increase the cost of money and businesses that are not actually making a huge amount of profit will be severely impacted perhaps as their um, interest uh, costs go up and they find life a little tougher in a um, harder economy. Well, that may be the case. I think it is clear when you look at the NASDAQ, I think something like over 40% of the NASDAQ stocks have now halved in value during the course of this volatility. But when you look at the correlation, it is clear that there is a degree of lockstep happening for these markets as well, which tells you it's a broader market story and not just solely about rotation away from vulnerable technology stocks. The Treasury story, again, this is fascinating because uh, uh, despite all of the noise, we barely moved on the 10-year between this 1.7, 1.8 level. I can tell you, though, meaningfully, I think that the two-year note yield and the 10-year uh, note spread have tightened a little bit. So the, so the curve has effectively flattened, which just is a reaction, I think, to how the market is trying to position around interest rate expectations here. The 20-year uh, uh, yield still trading above the 30-year yield. Again, something that um, the uh, technicians on these curves take note of because they are obviously very sensitive to the idea that we might get any inversion in the curve. So what about oil? Let's just show you the um, headline crude price here. And we've just eased back a little bit on these quotes, but not a huge amount. And obviously we are reacting minute by minute in the uh, oil price to the latest headlines around Ukraine. I think increasingly the markets are beginning to think that um, President Putin will not launch an attack. To be honest, it's hard to tell how much notice uh, the um, capital markets are taking of the whole Ukraine story, but we know there's a lot more feed through into the oil price. We're $88 then a barrel on Brent right now. Um, the Asian markets, well, what's the legacy like coming into the European trading day? The Shanghai Composite is in positive territory here. There's a little bit of noise around consolidation in the property sector in uh, China this morning, and that's something worth keeping an eye on. I thought we might have seen a bit more of a bounce in the Hang Seng Index, given that a lot of these property companies are listing in Hong Kong. Uh, but effectively, we are flatlining, aren't we, on the uh, Hong Kong market? Worth uh, just mentioning, um, normally we'd have the Australian market up here, but it is Australia Day. I don't know exactly what the Australians do on Australia Day. We'll get to Karen. Maybe she can tell us a little bit more about that. Is there 
some special thing they do with kangaroos and kangaroo skin. I'm not so sure she'll tell us. Um, India is also closed, so just worth pointing out that market is closed today as well. Opening calls for Europe, early doors, but uh, the suggestion is that we will, at this stage, get a positive start to the trading session. So what do Australians do on Australian Day, Karen? (laughs) <laughs> there are a couple of ends of the spectrum, Jeff. Uh, some enjoy it as a bank holiday is in any other country. You lie in and uh, watch a bit of television. Others uh, get dressed up, put uh, the, the flag on their face. It's typically, of course, hot, so they go to the beach and uh, just to celebrate uh, what a great nation Australia is, uh, usually enjoying some, some local food and, of course, lots of alcohol, typically beer. So <laughs> nothing that surprising, actually, and maybe a non-barbecue or two as well. I'm sure you'll get to enjoy one one day. (laughs) Well, I hope so. Um, All round to your house then for tea. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, Forex and any other type of beer that's manufactured in Australia, Foster's, you know, all the usuals. (laughs) Let's take a look at the markets. Uh, uh, Well, yes, VB uh, comes to the mix, uh, depending where you are located around Australia. Uh, let me take you back to the markets because it was an important session yesterday. I think a lot of investors were talking about whether you managed to find a bottom in some of these markets, whether the behaviour suggested we might be getting to a point of re-entry at, at uh, some stage. And the US futures are tentatively trading higher after a second day of wild volatile trading on Wall Street. Speaking to CNBC, former National Economic Council Director and current IBM Vice Chairman Gary Cohn said investors are trying to do one thing. It does feel to me in some respects that we're trying to find a bottom here. We've had two really interesting days where the markets, you know, tried to test bottoms and it's rallied into the close. And and it does feel like we're in a bottoming cycle right here. Hopefully we're in a bottoming cycle. But look, with our our SPAC, it's not going to matter because we've got a great business here that can ride out through any cycle. The Federal Reserve is expected to set the groundwork for its first post-pandemic rate hike when it concludes its latest meeting today. Investors are also eyeing up guidance on how the central bank will reduce its balance sheet after minutes from December's meeting shows officials raised the issue. All this comes as Fed Chair Jerome Powell looks to clamp down on price pressures across America after inflation hit 7% in December, its highest rate since 1982. Get some more opinions. Uh, Heyman Capital Management's founder and CIO Kyle Bass telling CNBC investors are having to adjust to a very different approach from Fed Chair Jay Powell. The Fed deciding to get very, very strong against inflation. The problem is you have this scenario where you have an arsonist turn firefighter uh, in the Fed and they're, they're saying they're going to raise four or five times this year. They've also added the fact that they're going to start balance sheet contraction June or July. And that's the uh, issue, isn't it? Um, where he talks about balance sheet contraction, how quickly does the balance sheet uh, get adjusted by the Federal Reserve? How ambitious or aggressive are they in terms of the uh, targeted reduction at this point? Ian Shepherdson joins us. He is the chief economist at Pantheon Macroeconomics. Ian, you'd have just heard Kyle Bass talking about the uh, the Fed um, turning from uh, an arsonist to a firefighter at this point. Do you think that's a fair characterization? And what do you think we'll learn today? Well, there's no question they're dealing with a, a bigger and more persistent inflation problem than they expected even just a few months ago. And unfortunately, it's going to 
before it's before it comes down. So uh, to that extent, yeah, they have, they have an issue that they have to deal with now. They have to be seen to be doing something, even if they believe in their collective heart of hearts that most of the inflation pressure is going to dissipate over the course of the year. They still have to do something. Having said that, they're not going to do anything today, and they were never, I think, going to do anything today. I mean, I know there were some voices calling for them to do something dramatic to grab the market's attention, but they've done that quite successfully simply by talking about the balance sheet over the last few weeks. So today is a holding operation in the face of really uh, market turmoil that they probably didn't expect. Some of them have been quite blasé actually about how markets would respond to balance sheet runoff. And so we've had all this talk about how they could do it much more quickly, starting earlier than they did last time and then maybe doing as much as $100 billion a month. I mean, I think that idea is now on the back burner until at least the March meeting, until they see how markets uh, calm down. Uh, and today I think it's going to be a case of just reiterating that the balance sheet runoff will continue at the pace they, they set at the last meeting and that then they'll wait and see that they're not I think going to do anything today that could make things in markets worse than they already are. Well it sounds like you're suggesting um, that the pace is just about right but there are those who think that the Fed is going way too slowly. I mean I, I was reading uh, Jeremy Grantham's epic bubble arguments here and he thinks the Fed should have been on the game a long time ago. Too fast, too slow. What do you think? Well, I think we take a deep breath here. You know, monetary policy can't do anything about inflation today. It can't do anything about inflation in the next six months. Uh, it looks ahead 12 to 18 months before it takes a full effect. And by that point, I am reasonably confident, I stress no more than reasonably confident, that inflation will be heading back towards the target. And if you believe that, then what's required is not drastic action, it's insurance uh, against being wrong. Uh, and it's also maybe uh, the beginnings of a normalization process, which is kind of separate from dealing uh, with, uh, with fighting a current inflation uh, issue. So uh, I, I do believe they need to tighten. I have no question about about that you know even if I'm right and inflation in, in 18 months time is, is back to normal then rates are still too low because they're set for an emergency which has passed but if I'm right about the inflation picture improving then the need to dive into a very aggressive tightening with all sorts of unintended and potentially disastrous market consequences is, is much more limited so it, it's, it's a game of balance and a game of risk management for the Fed uh, but markets I think have become very attuned not so much to the rate profile but to the balance sheet and this is what scares people because we've seen this game before where attempts at a more rapid balance sheet runoff uh, end very badly uh, and of course we could make the argument and, and many people do make the argument this is the Fed's fault in the sense that they pumped up the balance sheet in the first place and drove up asset prices to these unsustainable levels uh, but that you know, playing that blame game is not really very helpful we need to avoid a market crash and I think the way to avoid a market crash is to make it clear that balance sheet runoff will take place when it's safe to do so there's no no pressing need to do it you know if you really think there's a big inflation problem then you can raise rates more quickly and that's much more understood or understandable I think to investors than this sort of this woolly notion of just rapid balance sheet runoff which is uncertain it's hard to pin down uh, and uh, it tends to make people scared and when people are scared they flee uh, and the result is what you see in markets. Ian, I want to pick up that rate story again, because if you look at the market expectations, the uh, market was, has this baseline case of four rate hikes this year. But you did see expectations start to decline around the five, six or seven rate hikes in the market with some of this activity we've seen with the, the selling that's taken place. And you've actually seen a slight increase in the odds for just three rate hikes. Are we seeing a situation here where some of the, the market volatility may just do the job for the Fed? 
Yeah, this is, this is a classic sort of chicken and egg situation that we, we often get at these turning points in the economy where uh, the Fed sounds more aggressive, so the market sells off, so the, so the market then expects less from the Fed, and then the Fed says, okay, we won't do so much, and so markets rally again, and then the Fed says, oh, well, hang on, now we have to tighten some more. Uh, and this, this could go on for an extended period. I mean, I think some of these, these expectations became... Uh, it really uh, it divorced, I think, from reality. I mean, there, 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 were, there was not much chance of them ever doing more than four. Uh, I know there were some people talking about how they should start with a shock 50 in March. I mean, I think that was always a very risky idea. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's froth rather than, I think, anything realistic from the Fed's perspective. So, uh, you know, I think three to four is still the most likely base case. Um, and I think it, it's quite likely that they'll start the balance sheet runoff this year, but my guess is it will come later and it will be slower than some of the more excitable forecasts in the markets because they don't need to do this. I mean, you know, running off the balance sheet uh, is kind of arbitrary, if you like. You know, it, it, um, there's no massively powerful external force uh, that, that's pushing the Fed to do the balance sheet more quickly. It's self-imposed. It's up to them. If they're really worried about inflation, then they can raise rate expectations or actually raise rates further through, through talking and leave the balance sheet on the back burner. And, you know, the balance sheet will shrink as a share of GDP over time anyway. Uh, and, and it seems to me that they've got a tool that everybody understands, interest rates, that we, we know how it works. Uh, why would we want to throw an instrument into the policy mix that has uncertain and unpredictable consequences at a time of, uh, well, clearly what we've seen this week is, is uh, fairly extreme market fragility. So I, I'm happy with the, with the rate hiking profile, but you know, markets, I think, got ahead of themselves. And I'm happy to see some of the more aggressive expectations being toned down over the last few days. And, and you know, we'll, we'll see what happens between now and the March meeting, which I think is more important than today's. Uh, my guess is that the data between now and then, the economic data, are going to be quite soft. They'll be hit by Omicron, especially payrolls. I think, again, some of these more extreme expectations will be reeled back a bit further in, and hopefully that will allow markets to be a bit calmer. I was going to ask you about that, Ian, whether your thoughts on the market volatility might start to abate at some point. I mean, what we've had here has been a sort of quite a well-telegraphed conversation that the Fed has had. And I think investors were saying that they didn't think they'd be spooked around retreat this time. But here we have it, <laughs> extreme market moves intraday as though investors are extremely skittish. What does it take to, to really calm those nerves? And have you been surprised at how markets reacted this time anyway? Well, it seemed to me that, that valuations in tech specifically were an accident waiting to happen. Uh, and, and what triggered it was, you know, four or five days of every day, another Fed regional uh, president coming out and saying that we needed a faster balance sheet runoff or an earlier balance sheet runoff or both. Uh, and making these sort of throwaway remarks that, um, well, markets are in a much better shape now than so, so we, can, we can do it and it won't be like it was last time. I think that scared people. Uh, it scared markets into thinking, whoa, maybe they're going to do something way quicker than we've been anticipating, in which case I don't want to be the last guy holding these hyper overvalued tech stocks. Now, this process cannot go on indefinitely. Uh, and, you know, market chaos it can't persist without some sort of fundamental driver. It can't persist indefinitely. We'll, we'll wash out the more speculative positions and we'll find a new evaluation that everyone can live with, uh, assuming that the Fed sends some sort of signal that they're not going to be wildly aggressive on the balance sheet. I think this really is the key now. I don't think we had any real problem in markets as people got their heads around the idea that rates were going to rise three or four times this year. That, that seemed to be okay. Uh, the, the trigger for this sell-off seems to me to have been the much more ramped 
up an aggressive uh, talk from the Fed about the balance sheet. So I'm hoping that Chair Powell will today say something along the lines of, well, you know, we're still talking about the balance sheet. We haven't made any decisions. We are mindful of overall financial conditions. And that would send a signal to everyone that they're not going to do anything wildly aggressive while markets are still in turmoil. And that in and of itself should allow markets to calm down a bit. Plus, again, I think some of the economic data coming up are going to uh, really take the um, send a signal to markets that, that the economy has kind of suffered quite a bit from Omicron, maybe more than it did from Delta, and that under those circumstances, the Fed can afford to take things a bit more slowly. And, and so I, I would expect some, some calm to emerge over the next couple of weeks, but you know, not necessarily today. Oh, Ian, we appreciate the soothing words. Thank you for your perspective and for joining us so early this morning. Ian Shepardson with us, Chief Economist at Pantheon Macroeconomics. And just a quick note ahead of the Fed meeting, Bank of America has picked four stocks that it likes amid the market volatility. You can read up on its top picks on our premium service, CNBC Pro. Karen, thank you. Coming up on the programme, US President Joe Biden threatens personal sanctions against Vladimir Putin as tensions continue to ratchet up over Ukraine. We'll talk about that when we come back. And for more on what to expect from the Fed meeting today, as well as the latest market action, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back, everybody. We are showing you live pictures now from New Delhi. It is uh, Republic Day in India, which is why we don't have financial markets trading. But uh, as part of the celebrations of Republic Day, uh, we saw uh, a lot of people standing on motorcycles. And um, obviously, there are helicopters uh, coming in for a fly past. We'll leave the pictures um, and let's change gear a little bit. We need to catch up on the latest on this Ukraine story. So President Biden has been speaking again. The US president has threatened personal sanctions against Russia's Vladimir Putin on the eve of an invasion or in the event rather of an invasion into Ukraine. Biden's threat coming as NATO and Western leaders step up preparations in Europe in response to Moscow's buildup of troops on the border. Biden said a Russian invasion of Ukraine would, quote, change the world. NBC's Richard Engel has more. With diplomacy failing, NATO and Russia are both mobilizing for a potential war. Tonight, more American weapons, part of a $200 million, 90-ton package, arrived in Ukraine to help defend against a possible Russian invasion. President Biden saying he's close to deciding whether to mobilize additional U.S. troops already on high alert to Eastern Europe, although not inside Ukraine. 
Well, lead to that. What would lead to that is what's going to happen, what Putin does or doesn't do. And uh, I may be moving some of those troops in the nearer term just because it takes time. And saying he might sanction President Putin himself if he invades. If he were to move in with all those forces, it would be the largest invasion since World War II. It would change the world. NATO allies, big and small, are also moving east. Spain deploying fighter jets to Bulgaria and warships to the Black Sea. Denmark sending jets to Lithuania and France vowing to defend Romania. All of Eastern Europe is a potential front. While Russia denies it will invade with new military drills today, it keeps the world guessing. Ukraine's president is telling people to remain calm and that he's seeking a diplomatic solution. But here in the East, some volunteers are already signing up in case they need to fight. Richard Engel there. Well, French President Emmanuel Macron and German Chancellor Olaf Scholz met ahead of today's so-called Normandy format talks in Paris, which will bring together delegates and special advisers from France, Germany, Ukraine and Russia. Despite the heightened tensions over Ukraine and looming threat of sanctions, the Russian president is set to take part in a virtual meeting today with some of Italy's top business leaders. According to reports, Italy's major blue-chip companies, including Enel, Unicredit and Generali, are all set to take part in the event organised by the Italy-Russia Chamber of Commerce. Italy is Russia's fifth-largest trading partner. Another stalemate in Italy after the second round of voting for the country's next president saw more than half of lawmakers return blank ballots once again. The country's centre-left bloc, which includes the Democratic Party and the Five Star Movement, rejected a list of three potential candidates for the top job proposed by the centre-right, but said it would not put any candidate forward itself and it hopes to discuss further ideas today. Sylvia spoke to the Brothers of Italy parliamentary group leader and asked him whether he would accept a centre-left candidate if one were to be put forward. Today, the centre-right in Italy has the majority of public support. We have a relative majority of delegates in Parliament, and so we have the right to propose candidates. Selecting a president put forward by the left amid these conditions is decisively inappropriate. We've had experiences in the past where the left found themselves in the position we're currently in and put forward extremely partisan candidates. There have been too many presidents coming from the left, especially considering how many came to power even after the left lost elections. If we're successful in our work, we don't want a president from the left leading this country. In other news, the civil service inquiry into parties at Downing Street could be published as soon as today, according to reports. Now, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson faces being interviewed by the police after Scotland Yard announced its own investigation into breaches of lockdown rules at number 10. Johnson's fate could be tied to the findings of the civil service report, which will be combed over by conservative lawmakers, many of whom have had made clear that uh, they have plans to oust him. But it would be an extraordinary turn of events, uh, Jeff, wouldn't it, uh, if the Prime Minister were to be uh, interviewed under caution here and effectively read his rights before being asked questions by the police. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.